This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to physiotherapist and physiotherapy educator, Pat Valance, about his journey from physiotherapy student to being a highly successful practitioner and then a PhD student and now a physiotherapy educator. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this week, I'm talking to Pat Valance from Monash University Physiotherapy, and Pat's a physio, he's a PhD candidate in our department and a key member of our Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit, and he's also a physiotherapy educator within our musculoskeletal teaching team here at Monash Uni Physio. So Pat has had a full-on introduction to university teaching and education, having started his teaching career with us during the um, pandemic-affected years of 2020 and 2021. And he's continued on this year and had a very successful year that I want to talk to him all about. So we're going to find out more from Pat about what all of this was like and also his journey um, from where he began to where he is now and what's coming up in the future. So Pat, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thank you very much for having me on, Luke. You make me sound very busy there. I'm, I'm exhausted hearing that that list of activities. I'm exhausted reading it out. You've your <laughs> your very busy year of um, teaching also involved PhD data collection for your PhD, and you presented at some conferences, and I think you also won your football grand final in the local leagues. Yeah, and, yeah, that was very exciting. And you got engaged. Yeah, a lot going on. A lot going on. I have <laughs> to be very careful in what I say with the highlights in particular with the with That's the other right. part. Yeah. Yeah, well with the highlights of the year and you you better put being engaged number one, mate. Otherwise yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's there'll be trouble. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I mean you taught into you know many, almost all of the musculoskeletal or the components of the musculoskeletal curriculum in both of our entry to practice courses in Monash Physios. You've been a busy guy. Um so you were sort of pat everywhere valance this year. So you're in anatomy, you taught into exercise um, in the DPT course. What else did you teach into? You taught obviously taught into prac skills, which we'll talk about yeah, practical yeah. teaching with me, CBLs so or case-based learning. Yep. Yep, yeah, yeah. missed anything? And then, um, research being the other one in the DPT. So um, just an introduction to, to research methodology in the DPT. Yeah. So you're very, in a way, very broad. So you've had a a really good introduction to university teaching and learning where you've come in and you've taught across different areas. So what, um, let's, let's go back a step. What, um, what do you love about teaching? What do you, you're obviously a passionate educator. The students really enjoy working with you. Um, you bring a lot to, you know, to a course and um, you bring a lot of your own experience and, um, and unique perspectives. So you bring a lot to the, to physio education. You know, what gets you up in the morning? What do you love about teaching? Yeah, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying my um, my experience as a as an educator. I think the the thing that really motivates me for it is um, I see the the intrigue that the students have for for the content that um, as a as a, a therapist, it's the the first year content, and it it might seem like the most basic of of information, but you present it to this um, this group of fresh eyed um, students. And, and they're just so interested in it. I think they've got this genuine intrigue. They've uh, they're embarking on this career to become a, a professional in this, this space. And um, the large majority of them show this genuine interest in learning and intrigue. And um, you can't help but feed off it. So all of a sudden, you you start to rediscover that enthusiasm for um, you know for the process. I think that's part of it. You you get to really get bogged down in in the process of how we do things and why we do things, which 
know, when you're out in the in the workforce, when you, um, you know, my my experience is working as a clinic as a clinician, are largely in that musculoskeletal sort of private practice setting. Um, you, you can lose some of the the um, the process there where you you've got to be timely and efficient. So I, I really enjoy that that side of it, sharing the process with the students. Mm, you have to have that genuine curiosity for mm. your learning, and then as you you hit the nail on the head then you really have to work off the the learner's genuine curiosity and it has to be a cycle where you're working together and it is very inspirational it's very very good career let's go back a, a step and tell everyone where you're from and who you are and where yeah, you're going sure. so where oh. did you train and what are your interests and how did you end up here at, at monash physio with us yeah definitely um so i did my undergraduate in physiotherapy at charles sturt uni up on the, the border the new south wales victorian border um in Aubrey. there uh prior to that i'm, I'm a country boy so i'm from the middle of nowhere in the center center of new south wales um, from a, a farm near a, a town called ungary which is a um, population of 400 people so do people Aubrey from ungary a- describe themselves as being from the middle of nowhere or are you allowed to yeah. say that now you're, uh, no, you're working in melbourne yeah, no, they'd, they'd embrace it. Um, okay. It's always fun. It's always a good small conversation starter in the clinical setting. You know, have you heard of Hungary? And people say no. Then you work out about 200 kilometers to the next center and so on until you land on. Triangulate. Yeah, yeah exactly. You end up on Wagga Wagga and people say, oh, I've heard of that, um, despite it being two and a half hours away. So so for um, our international audience, we're talking about in the on the east side of Australia, inland, and yep. yeah, it's a farming what, yeah. what type of farming in that in uh, your area? Crop, cropping and, and sheep mainly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Growing so crops and farming. yeah. Yeah. And rearing sheep. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So from so a country now, boy at heart and yeah, yeah. comes now, to the big city and comes good. Yeah, now in the, the big city, very much um acclimatized to the city now. Um but yeah, after after studying studying my undergrad, came up to or came down rather to Melbourne to um start my professional career. Um and I happened to to meet uh, one of my now supervisors, Peter Maliaris, and we got chatting about research, and he spruiked my my interest, and that sort of started me on that journey to to um, my master's of philosophy, and then now my PhD, which I'm still working chipping away at. Uh, but that meant spent a lot more time around the department, and and through doing so, I was you know, witnessing or observing a lot of the um, teaching activities and. Yeah, definitely was interested at that point to dip the toes in. And I think it was some conversations with your with yourself, Luke, where um, I, I'd, I'd popped in to observe a few few classes, and I said, "Well, I wouldn't mind helping out." So I, I volunteered. I, I jumped in to to support, and and that was really nice in that I got a feel for how um, you know, how you could approach teaching. So um, in the the practical sense, practical musk physio, um, how how these practice were run at, at Monash Uni, not being a a Monash undergraduate myself, you know, that was their teaching content is delivered differently. Um, and, and through that, you know, um, there was a, a point in time where, you know, there was a, a gap, I think it was mid COVID. So uh, someone was unavailable for one reason or another, and I'd observed for quite a while. So I felt confident to step in and um, through that avenues open for other teaching opportunities. So sort of rolled on gradually from there, but yeah, through getting that initial experience, uh, it's a portfolio of activities has gradually expanded. Um, so yeah, no, it just happened quite organically. I'd also um, uh, credit um, associate professor now Dawson Kidgel, who who also had me in uh, supporting the exercise 
prescription units and research units. So assisting first, he called it a, a teaching apprenticeship where um, in the PhD, it's probably, it's not something that you actually uh, directly cover how to become an educator, despite that being a career avenue for quite a few. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And a prerequisite for many of the educated positions, PhD, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily include any of the the how-to, which exactly. is what we're going to call this episode. How do you become a physiotherapy educator? It's a question I get asked all the time, and you've just hit the nail on the head. What you do is you create your own apprenticeship by knocking on doors and talking to people and, in your case, sitting in on classes and mm. really building up your your mind map, your experience of what it is that you need to do to do this job and then eventually getting the position and being really successful. I think I think that's, yeah, that, that's probably a nice summary where it was very much, I guess, physically being around the department helped, but very much approaching people like yourself and like Dawson and and saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in this. Um, yeah, how, how do I get started? And, and acknowledging that yeah, as a as a physiotherapist, a clinical f- physiotherapist, I'm really good with my um, as therapists are with the the, the how to uh, be a physio, but not necessarily the how to be a good educator. So I had to put some time into upskilling and observing, um, volunteering, and and giving time so that I could upskill to a point where, when the opportunity presented, I had the skill set there to to be effective as an educator and. Mm. Um, and and produce at a, a level that would be required. Yeah, the sessional teaching positions are really advertised, which is something we've talked about on many of these episodes. You have to approach people and you have to show interest. And um, and often f- being physically there makes it easier, but um, having some, some capital that you've built up with people, whether that's a, as a former student or in your case, you're physically in the department as a PhD student, so being around and being willing to put in that effort and build up the your experience beforehand, that's that's a question you, you must have been asked as well. I've certainly been asked that many, many times. How would you get into physiotherapy education? Because the jobs aren't necessarily advertised. The, the, the permanent teaching positions, teaching and research positions often are advertised or they, they would be advertised around the world. I'd assume that most universities would advertise those positions, but your position at the moment is a sessional staff member. So you're working as a clinician, you come in and you do your teaching um, and then you're building up your CV and experience through that pathway. And um, where do you think you're going in the next three years or so, three to five years? That's a tough job interview in question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Pressure on Um, this guy. No, it's, it's, I I am thoroughly enjoying uh, my life as a, as a, a teaching academic so very much I'm wanting to to double down on that. If I can keep a, a foot in the clinical space, that'd be fantastic. Um, but then time demands are also uh, yeah, something you have to factor in. So whether that be transitioning from a sessional staff to a um, to a, a permanent staff member, that, that might be something that if the opportunity was there, I'd, I'd definitely jump at. Um, and also keeping that foot in the research space. And that's that's actually something that I've quite enjoyed with the students. They're, they're interested in hearing about all um, all sides to what a, a physio might be doing, you know, all the scopes, I should say, for uh, practice for a physio, whether that be in the clinical space. And and often I'm drawing on my, my clinical experience to share that with the students. And that it's nice in that the students then, I guess it contextualizes why we're spending all this time practicing elbow range of motion. You know, it, it might seem quite 
um, quite a, a, a discrete task to practice. But then when you start to relate it back to cases you've had in the clinical space, they start to see big picture why we're spending this time there. Mm. Uh, but then also with the the research side of things, uh, if uh, if questions come up, I, I don't bore them with it unless they ask. I'm, I'm always happy to discuss that. And, and they see that's another avenue that they could potentially pursue. Yeah, there's a, a thousand jobs in one with physio. So we try not to um, just present them with a single um, a single stream, rather let's give them a, mm. a bit of a overview of all the places they could go to keep that enthusiasm nice and high. And hearing it from somebody who is currently practicing and who is also conducting research and is bringing that experience into the classroom is really important. Let's talk about the students from their perspective um, and you can put yourself in their shoes or talk about your experience as an educator. What are some tips you could give our our students or students all around the world who are studying physiotherapy or a similar health professions course? And we're talking more specifically here about the preclinical units. So the first and second year of the course, learning a lot of foundational knowledge and theory and skills. And the most common um, report from students is it's busy. There's a lot happening. I didn't know I'd be, I'd be so busy. I didn't know there was so much to cover. And the, the response to that is yes. Yes, you are right. And we will say that from, from day one. We'll say that from orientation week and we'll keep agreeing with you on that because it's a very broad profession and we need to get you safe and competent on a range of skills. And it's a lot of work. Um, there's other things you can do if you don't want to be busy, but beyond being busy, we've got a lot to do in there. So what, what are your tips for students for studying efficiently, effectively? What things do you focus on? Yeah. And what no, advice do you give? Before diving in, I'll, I'll throw to, um, our, our, um, amazing colleague, Mick Storr, who I think he says at the start of the course, I promise you'll be busy. And he gets to the end of the first year and he says, and I delivered, didn't I? That's it. Um, so yeah, and I think that's a it's a nice way well, you can draw draw comparisons between how busy you are in the, the first year to two years and and how busy you are actually out in the, the workforce. So it prepares you well for what you're training for. Um of course that's terms, a shock though if you've because oh, yeah. it's a big learning curve, but it's also a stage in life, especially if you're a school leaver. They're going from year twelve into something that really is, as you said, as equivalent work demands to a full time job. And especially if your mates are off there not doing that as well. It can be Absolutely. Tough. Oh, there's some huge life changes, particularly um, while my my own experiences are removed from a, a farming community into the thriving metropolis that is Albury, which is a hundred thousand people or so. So it, it was a big centre at the time. I hadn't had neighbours really prior to that time. Um, it was a big change. But we've got people, we've got students that have. Uh, come from overseas that's a massive life change in and of mm. itself and then you throw the demands of a of a, a or a very um time heavy course a very skill heavy course and there's a lot going on for them so um, plenty of life changes that they have to to um you know adapt to i think in terms of or if i was to give any recommendations or any tips um for success in approaching those early years it would be to to um, spend the time to plan so that you can best prepare yourself to learn. So if you're setting aside particular windows of time, maybe using a, a calendar, I live on my calendar, I wouldn't survive without it, to mm. set aside that time, it might be that extra half hour here or there, it might be that extra hour, it might be talking to um, those in your, your network within your course, um, Yeah, to, to make some time to put in those extra hours early on in that the way the course is designed 
and I'm sure this is consistent. Well, in my experiences across the, the universities I've been involved in, it has been consistent. You you build those basic skill sets, the base knowledge, and then anything thereafter is building on top of that. The way mm-hmm. we structure it, we give you the 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 very base skill set, and then you know, w- you know that might be weeks one through say four or five and then from there it's building on top of that and on top of that but if you're not preparing and and um putting the time in early on you're going to miss the the crucial steps that further steps are then built on top of and um if you don't have a solid foundation it's very hard to build on top of that so that's a really good bit of advice and you've thrown in foundation which is the key word from this podcast (laughs) and this this is the whole point to go back have a have a break have a chance to reflect on some of the most foundational knowledge and skills and communication or probably get it even deeper into in some of the upcoming episodes just into good old-fashioned foundational skills and and knowledge and i've got some anatomy episodes planned where we can go into the weeds on on those topics but that's so that's a really good bit of advice to to know that it does start as a very simple foundational level and it, and it builds over time and throughout your clinical placements and then throughout your career you're always building on top of a foundation and you need a solid foundation to do that what about um so there's some really good tips for students or one really good tip for students any other tips that you could just practically from being a a tutor and a um delivering some lectures and some other practical content what have you seen so far that you could yeah i think um another really good way to consolidate information is to try to teach it to your peers Uh, it's one that you hear quite a bit but I know in my own experience as a as a tutor as an educator that's been um yeah well it is crucial for me in terms of performance but even in my preparation to deliver material you're always brushing up on on this information and and on the skill set to make sure it's delivered just to that that high quality that is required of you but you you highlight within yourself when you're trying to teach content um to to your peers where your own um, gaps in knowledge are so if you're able to identify, or you know, in my delivery of you know, X skill, I, I felt I was not as confident in this component, you can double down and spend more time in that area. So you can really um, you know, identify those those gaps and and invest your time as um, as efficiently as you possibly can. I think that's really nice. And the other uh, recommendation I would make is where possible, try to, I know I'm saying be prepared and spend all this time, but try to find a balance in the sense of, have some activities outside of um, university. So whether that be sport or a hobby of some shape or form, um, something that maybe it complements your course or maybe it's completely removed from it. Um, so it's a good distraction and and do have breaks where possible. So if it is, you know, the, 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 the gap between semesters one and two in the middle of the year or you um, you finished off semester two and it's that, that well, summer break here in Australia, have those few weeks to refresh and this is speaking from my experiences as a student but then also as a, a researcher phd candidate where the the times where i've just pushed on through you you do start to tire and you do start to lose some of that enthusiasm and yeah we we want to um get through this course and still be passionate about the content and everyone engages in uh, they they sign up to physiotherapy for the the best reasons they want to help others at, at, its, at the end of the day the the cohorts are always filled with these amazing students because they're here signed up because they want to at the end of the day help people that's their career trajectory that's where they want to be 
So if we can maintain and protect that enthusiasm at the end, you're going to be a much better clinician for it. And that's yeah, much more empathetic and and hopefully not too grisly and tired around the edges. Yeah, that's such a good bit of advice. But it's it's also the process of reflection. If you, th- I know that the analogy breaks down pretty quickly, but if you think of your brain as a bit of a supercomputer, and it, a, a computer does need a chance to just focus on one thing at a time, and it needs a chance to render and update, and um, and do its thing behind the scenes. And to me, I, I do feel for the students in the environment we're in at the moment, where they've all got a phone. They're connected to each other, but also all the apps. We we know how addictive they are, and you know it can be so easily to be so easy to be distracted and fill up all that time rather than being outside and being with friends and doing things and fill up all your spare time with, um, I don't say video games, but TikTok and and social media apps and things. And so you might feel like you're relaxing, but your brain is doesn't get that opportunity to render and process and update and relax and unwind and reflect. There's, I think a lot of the reflection that we do doesn't happen consciously. A lot of it does happen subconsciously. You sit there and bored and, you know, and sit there and, and unwind and reflect on your day, for example. Now, if you're, you've got a screen in your face and you're bombarding yourself with information in your rest time, to me, it doesn't sound like a wise idea, but I know how I come across. Sounds like 40-something-year-old um, Luke here talking about the kids of today and their phones and everything, but I, I know it because it affects me as well. It affects all of us. I've got a phone too, and I, I fall down that trap as well. And when I put it aside and go out and do something physical, actually sit there and reflect on um, all the, the learning I've been doing and all the work I've been doing, It's it, you do come back much stronger and able to do more work so and better work. Yeah. It's a really think, good point. Absolutely. And, and within that, um, something, you know, I was just thinking there, as you're saying, um, it would be leaning, leaning on your peers. Uh, so I, I know from my own undergraduate, some of the the better friends I have, are, are those I picked up throughout that course. So I'm, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't count how many bucks parties from my, my, um, and weddings I've been to from my cohort, my year. And, and I know that's quite common across physiotherapy courses. We're already seeing um, for the, the year that's just finished, you know, the, the, uh, we've had one level that's just finished semester two. There's these groups of friendship you know, throughout the cohort and they, they do seem to lean on each other quite a bit. And that's a really nice thing in that it can be nice to reflect with people that have that shared experience. They're going through the same things or some of the same things you're going through, some different, some similar. So that can be a nice space to have these conversations that can foster that reflection, uh, um, you know, whether it be challenges with workload or whether it be um, you know, falling behind or whether it be strategies for for learning um, or just um, having a bit of a, a whinge about myself and, and you, Luke. So I think it's a very healthy thing to do to to try to lean on your peers and, and understand they're going through something similar. Let's finish off with the, what you think are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for physiotherapists, for health professionals? It's a very broad question. Mm, you can question. take it anywhere you like. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll raise a few. So I think communication. Um, I think communication is absolutely critical for any any physiotherapy setting. Uh, with, yeah, for us as educators, it's, it's crucial. Uh, but very much when our um, students graduate, they go out into the workforce. And when irrespective of what time point you are at in your career, you need to be good at communication. You need to be able to foster a, a healthy working relationship with your your patients, with your clients. Um, build that rapport. Um, you need to 
be able to educate on various topics and and you're only going to have buy-in if you're able to to communicate effectively um interestingly and, and this is just something i've taken away from my experiences teaching so far there are some that that comes naturally too we have students that start day one and they're excellent at communicating maybe too good at it uh, sorry at um, communicating maybe they're too good at communicating maybe they're enjoying um having a bit of communication off to the side while we're trying to deliver content but funnily enough they're the types that when they get out into the workforce they really hit the ground running there are others that across a year they they really develop that skill set and that's through those the soft skills they develop with their peers. So we can only claim so much of that. A lot of that is their own learning and development that they're doing you know, with their peers, but outside of um, you know, the content we're delivering. So I think communication is big, uh, but I think that capacity to um, to uh, be critical in um, or, or to um, work your way through clinical situations with that critical lens. So to be able to um, not just apply the same skill set um the same therapy the same exercise to every single um setting every single example every patient i think you need to be able to critically appraise um and and absorb new information and apply new information and blend to develop your own um i guess your own approach as a physiotherapist and and it's only through doing so that you'll become the, the best version of yourself um, I know how our practice will be different to the next and different to the next, and that's going to be a blend of my own experiences, uh, what has been successful, what hasn't, you know, reading literature, but I'm also seeing this works and this doesn't work. So I think very much being able to be constantly critical um, of, of what we're doing and what we're reading and um, taking things on board and being open, but not also jumping at every single uh, gadget and gizmo as well. So they're, mm. they're too, they're too, I could keep going forever. So the focus on communication there being on interpersonal skills and taking advantage of whatever uh, personality you have and developing your own methods and ways of communicating with people effectively. And the fact that that doesn't only happen in a classroom or a simulated patient environment or a clinic when you graduated with patients, that's happening all the time with your friends and family and study group and colleagues. So really getting to know you, developing yourself as a person. I've got a whole episode on that one, multiple episodes now on communication, but your, your focus there on interpersonal skills and then, um, then thinking more, remind me, Pat, your second point. Oh yeah. Uh, being, being critical. So I think yes, not, not accepting everything on face value, but whether that be what we are doing, what your you first reading, point was so good that I was, yeah, I couldn't move on. It was really good. Um, um, yeah, so, it, exactly. The, the critical thinking yes, yes. goes beyond just the critical thinking in the analytical sense and thinking about critiquing literature and and, um, and yeah, yeah. I guess there are some skills that underpin that. So when we're talking about literature, if you're and this is the the research educator um, uh, in myself, if you're familiar, and I guess it's, it's confidence and it's knowledge. If you're, you're confident in interpreting literature you're going to be able to apply that critical lens better uh, but a lot of it comes from confidence as well as a as a clinician the more experience you gain um i guess the better you are going to be at working away through and applying the lens of well, what is going to be most beneficial to my to my patient you know what can i pick out in terms of similarities between say this research paper and um and the, the patient sitting in front of me, how does it transfer? How generalizable uh, you know, is this recommendation? But then also what you picked up at university. You know, we 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 try to to focus on those 
yeah, I'll, I'll throw to the title of the podcast again, those foundational skills. We um, try not to dress it up to be too fancy. We we deliver what that base skill set is so that these students get out and they can build on top of that. But even then, um, you know, there, there might be more effective ways. The way I teach something might be slightly different to what you teach at Luke. And, and we acknowledge that and we we um, probably champion that within the, 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 the content that we teach. Um, so just knowing that there are many ways to achieve something similar and, and for each individual, each therapist, it might be applied slightly differently. You might find your most effective way is different to the next. So being critical in self-appraisal and appraisal of um, information available to you. Excellent. Anything else that you wanted to add? Um, just Since we've got you here. Yeah. Got the yeah. mic turned on. Yeah, yeah, the mic. The, um, that we, we before the the show, there was a bit of time getting this one up and going. Everyone just letting you know, I'm I'm not great with technology. Um, I'll I'll just circle back to communication and and just I'll, I'll throw to an experience I I had that very much shaped, I guess, how I want to be as a, a therapist in my communications. Um, and it was my interaction with another health professional. So it was a, a doctor's appointment when I was. Um, early uh early early on i think i might have been in my first year out of university and yeah i'd been to been to plenty of gps across time and 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 had some good experience and some as well where you come out and you feel like you haven't been heard i just distinctly remember this this gp sitting down in front of me and listening to every single word i had uh had to say everything i had to um convey and wanted to to discuss through and i, I walked away from that session feeling so heard so validated and I thought that is amazing. If I can make my patients feel like that, that is exactly what I want to be. That is how I want my patients to leave um, the the room, and that is how um, I think I'll be able to achieve best rapport with them, and as a result of that, best outcomes. So, I think just reflecting on what you've, where you felt valued, and how you can then extend that to your patients. I think if we can get our our students to to communicate like that and be um, centered enough to to realize you know or, or to recognize how to be good listeners good communicators i think we're going to succeed uh, in developing the next generation wow that's powerful stuff just the power of just listening to somebody and the perception of them feeling valued and listened to so much can flow on from that and you know we had um randall cooper and mick hughes on the podcast earlier this year, and I asked them the same question, what foundational knowledge and skills do you think are the most important? And, you know, communication and, and, and other skills came up in that conversation as well. But Randall made the point that it, it takes time. It, it, experience counts for a lot. And I'm, take, I'm guessing the doc that you saw had some experience behind mm-hmm. them and some wisdom and life experience. And if we're talking about learning foundational knowledge and skills at a time in your life where you don't have the depth of life experience yet, just know that it does take time to develop But by sitting there and listening to somebody and just trying to be a little bit less self-concerned and just, you're there to help someone. You're here to learn. You're also here to help other people. So listening to another person can help you get you out, get you out of your own head as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really nice to hear your summary of what it felt like as a health professional yourself. Seeing yeah. another health professional and the difference between being not listened to and being listened to, so powerful. Yeah, I always just find I do I do reflect on on that single interaction I had with a, another health professional, and it, it just it makes me feel enthusiastic to to be the best physio I can because I, I came away from that 
you know, feeling so validated, so heard. So if I can do the same for my patients and I'll be, I'll be succeeding. Mm. You know, there's, there, there is a lot of anxiety in society in general and definitely in, um, in students who are a part of society related to all the knowledge and information they need to learn in the short time and the pressure of being assessed and everything. And we need to acknowledge that as well. And, you know, key message there is that if you feel that it's difficult to, to do all the things you need to do and then and still end up helping a person, how powerful it can be to just sit there and listen and take, take information in and repeat it back to the person, active listening. Um, you can really make a difference. I always, something that I was taught by Susanna and I was taught by other mentors of mine was no matter how um, unprepared or inexperienced you feel as a student or a new grad or as a, even an experienced professional, you can always help somebody. There's always something that you can offer to help somebody. And sometimes you're left scratching your head for what that could be. But by listening, you might be the only person who's at least given the impression of actually listening to that person. And this is something that Susanna's talked about in the last three episodes is you know, the, the, the importance of clinical communication and her tactics and strategies and tips for connecting with people. And listening has been fundamental to that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. That was a good way to end the conversation. You know, I've booked you in for part two, Pat. We're going to, in part two, we're going to go through, um, we're going to record this in the not too distant future. And we're going to talk about a bit more broadly about the profession. We're going to talk about teaching education. We're going to talk about um, the challenges that we face as a profession and specifically from our perspective as physiotherapy educators and we're also going to tackle the perennial question that plagues physiotherapy educators, which is, why didn't you teach them this at university? <laughs> be a good one to unpack. Be a good one to discuss. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, we'll offer our our thoughts. And it'll be, it'll be nice to hear the thoughts of others as well on that. I think it'll it be, would, be absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th that's the type of episode that I would really like everybody listening to to engage with, perhaps even if you want to email me or send a social media post and really let me know what you think because almost every day to the point sometimes that I have to actually just put the apps away and, and not look at them, I'll see conversations that, that are sometimes triggering and sometimes they're enlightening and interesting. More, more often they're just, it's interesting to get people's perspectives, but they're along the lines of questioning what is taught in university and physiotherapy courses, why certain things aren't taught why they aren't taught better. And there aren't that many physio educators out there actually talking about this stuff. Now, if, if there are, there are, there's some good podcasts I listen to, but a lot of us don't have time. I'm making time. You're making time for this today. Um, and sometimes we feel a bit fearful of talking about curriculum. No, we're not talking about any specific aspect of our curriculum. We're talking about general principles. I'm very comfortable doing that. But I think we need to have a conversation broadly with clinicians, with students, educators, and be talking together about why things are taught the way they are, and especially in mm. the foundational um, parts, the early preclinical units of the university, because from our perspective, it really it isn't possible to, to go into the depth that um, a lot of people would expect us to go into. You really are. From the students' perspectives and the educators' perspectives, we do have, um, our best just to get to that simple foundational 
level of learning by the end of first year, for example. And if we do that well, as you said before, then we can build on top of that foundation. The other bugbear of mine is um, comments from people who maybe graduated 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, really confidently telling us about what we teach in university, which is sometimes not true. And maybe that's what you were taught at university 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you're inferring from that. So there's, there is a lot to unpack there. Um, but just like this episode, it'd be really nice if we can um, present our perspectives, mm. our students' perspectives, and, and perhaps just give some context to what, what has to happen in an entry-to-practice physiotherapy course in order to get someone safe and competent and you know, effective and over the line so they can begin their learning on clinics and, and after you know, as, a, as a practitioner. It's a big can of worms. Huge can of worms. I think we're opening it right up. But I think we can do it in a um, in a sharing sort of sensitive way where we, we're actually sharing the experience of educating and being a student in university and not just speculating on social media about take my own special personal interest area, whatever it is, and 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 ask the question, why don't we learn more of this in university? Let's talk about how busy the students really are. I haven't heard a single student say to me, I wish I'd, I wish you'd put more content in the (laughs) the first year. Yeah. Yeah, I need more hours of work. I think good, good to highlight the, the reason why you've highlighted a few of the reasons why we want to have that conversation, but as well, it's, um, you know, it's not closed doors at university. It's not, we don't want everything to be hush, hush. We do this, we do that. We want to, foster you know, great healthy working relationships with the clinicians we have great relationships already with clinicians where you know when you get to those clinical years where um you know we're sending these students off and and uh, we're sharing that educational experience with them it's it's and we get some of the feedback and that's interesting probably worth discussion the feedback we get back from those clinicians as opposed to maybe some that are removed from that step um, and I guess those, those clinicians that are sharing that educational journey where they can see the development of students out in the workforce, in that workforce environment, um, but they can also see that they're, they're, that they're, they're the, the clay that's been moulded partway and it's still got to be moulded a bit further. It's a work in progress as opposed to this really shiny product that um, really is not a shiny product. And I don't think at any point in our careers are we a shiny product. I think we're always a work in progress, but, but just mm. knowing what has to be use the words effective and say what has to be learned to be first and foremost safe that's that's got to be first and foremost and then to be effective at a base level let alone building on top of that the amount of work that's required to take someone that's got no background uh, in physiotherapy they're, they're, they're coming in day one if you reflect on that where were you day one of your physiotherapy course um and and to say that you've got uh, 24 weeks yeah, for our, our Musk topics, at least, to to become safe and effective for you know, the, the entire body. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Mm. So it'd be good to unpack a bit further. Mm. The, the other one to unpack will be who teaches in the university courses. And that's why it was really good to do an episode introducing you and your background and foundations and what your teaching philosophies and um, and then make the point that, this is one of the people who are teaching the students in the university. This is Pat. He works in the clinic. He's um, up to date. He's doing his PhD. 
and you know passionate up-to-date educator as well so there's lots we can talk about lots we can unpack i'm, I'm looking forward to that one that will so, be nice but we, we need to rest recover recharge the microphones they don't need recharging we just sounded good come back and do that one and that'll be the next one that comes out and so everyone if you enjoyed listening to pat today there's more where that came from so but th pat thanks for thanks very much for joining us no thank you very much for having me luke really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat teaching so for everyone listening um thank you for joining us in these conversations and reflections it's really good to have you uh, i've got some really nice emails that have come in. I've had some, some good connections on social media and um, you know, thank you for being a part of this and for joining us in, in these sort of reflective conversations. Um, it's a really important part of our careers is to stop and reflect and go through um, the process of reflection. So thank you. Um, now in terms of sharing and liking and all the things we normally say, please don't share this episode with anyone. Don't um, don't head over to the Periton Physio YouTube channel. Don't go there and don't check out the highlights and the video versions from these podcast episodes because you'll be, you know, you'll have too much good stuff to look at. So don't do that and uh, make sure you don't subscribe and don't hit the like button. Was that going to work, Pat, for reverse uh, psychology? I, I think I'm on to what you're up to there, Luke. Good. No one does it anyway, so that's, that's fine. You get a few a few people who have contacted me, have shared the episodes and have sent emails. And to me, that's more than enough. If you're finding this content helpful and if, even if you want to be a part of it, then please um, contact me and you can come on yourself as a guest. That'd be really absolutely. good. You can find, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an open forum. And so you can find us, so Susanna and I, at Periton Physio on all the social media apps. And looking forward to hearing from you. So until next time, this is Pat Balance and Luke Periton wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development, and lifelong learning. Mm -hmm.